JB, I think I finally figured out why everybody wants you to come up and, you know, be with me at games. And I, I thought all this time it was because it's James Baker, football expert and, you know, all-around good guy. But Chad Hammonds, our friend out there at Mary Harden Baylor, I think has solved this uh, conundrum, quandary, whatever it is. And it's basically you look like this guy. Who is this? <laughs> Some actor on a TV show, I guess. Um, and I've been told I look like certain actors over the years. I don't know. Um, maybe less so as I've gotten a little more salt in this in this pepper up here. But I mean, hey, if, if they if they, I assume that I assume it's a compliment. And I think Chad alluded to it as such. I haven't seen Burn Notice. I've heard it's a good show, but that was pretty funny. A little at me there <laughs> well I, I think everybody wants your autograph thinking that you're some popular famous guy and that's why they want you to come up that's it mm-hmm. so okay maybe all kidding aside what would it take to finally get your butt up here for the first time since our uh, game uh, one show on uh, 2018 at Brockport the Hobart Brockport game in 2018 you, we did our game day live and all that stuff what would it that, take yeah. to get you up here I mean for for goodness sake I'm sick of people asking me, what's it going to take? Well, you know, it's, um, I, I have to move a few things around. We'd have to make a few phone calls. We'd have to make a few arrangements. Wait, who are we calling? You know, but, oh, you know, it's, uh, you, you know, I you guess. Are high maintenance, man. You are just high maintenance. People want to see you. Will Bellamy. No, they don't. Hit us up and said, <laughs> I want to see JB. No no more of this virtual friendship uh, thing that we've got going on uh, with our uh, friends over at Union. He wants to meet JB. So, okay, there's three games left in the season. Obviously, this weekend's going to be out uh, because uh, it, though it's Hobart Union Week. I mean, hi, Hobart Union Week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> always got to one up me <laughs> with the helmet. But... Um, yeah, yours is in Manhattan. I know you can't grab that easily. But, you know, they are playing at uh, home versus RPI. Could we, maybe we could get you up there for the, or here for that one, maybe? The shoes, yeah. That would be cool. I've never seen the shoes game. Yeah, well, I haven't seen one in a while. Maybe, maybe we'll work on that. So, okay, you're going to vow to try to get up here for a game this season. Is that what you're trying to tell me? I will try my... You know what is to make something happen before it's said and done. Yes. Your you know what is. On that note, uh, we have some you know what is conferences down here that you finally realized that that made no sense, right? Yes. Well, it's supposed to be yeah. a family show. Should I say damnedest or, you know, whatever? Yeah. I guess it's, it doesn't yes. matter. We've got a, you know, we're all adults here. Except I for think me. I've used the word jackass, hell, ass, and other things on the show before, yeah. so it is family-friendly to a degree. Nonetheless, this is our Crunch Time show for week eight of In the Huddle.
season 14 and all that stuff that we forgot to say on the other side. But hey, you know what we are. You know what we do. We talk about the football week that has been last weekend and begin to look at what it all means in the playoff picture again uh, a lot of people responded well to our discussion jim mora for instance uh was really impressed by our playoffs discussion uh but no it's it's uh it's that time but in some conferences have some clarity some conferences don't and some conferences have clarity for now but they could go into a freight train mentality uh if certain things happen this weekend we we're already working yeah. on a guest for one of those games, actually, uh, for our Friday show. We'll tell you more as the week progresses. But the 30,000-foot view, a la JB, on week eight, that was. Well, it was interesting, Frank. There were 112 games across Division Three this past weekend, and I would say the vast majority of them you know, aren't weren't really exactly must-see TV. However... In each region, and we've fortunately we're lucky enough to pretty much highlight and, and tee up um, in our Friday show a pretty good uh, watch list because all of those games pretty much were very close. There were a couple of surprises here and there. Um, a few conference races got a little more clarity, uh, but we, then we've also seen in about four conferences things just totally went up in the air. And the last three weeks are going to be a kind of a crazy round robin, and we're going to be talking about tiebreaker formulas and who played who and out of conference and strength of schedule and all this other stuff. So hang on to your hats, folks. It's going to get a little crazy before it's all said and done. Hanging on my hat, folks, right here. Here it is. Yeah, I bet. You got got a helmet again? Do you have a... Do you have like a do you have like a you know you know beanie or like a hat for cold weather? Because I understand this weekend's you know forecast in Schenectady is supposed to be like a you know forty degrees and a monsoon. I mean, are you guys gonna get washed away? Um, it's one of the things I didn't really think about when I was sort of previewing Hobart Union. If it's you know if it's a downpour, it's gonna affect the passing game a little. Union has a ground game. That's all I'm gonna say. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So does so does Hobart, uh, Rashawn sure Boswell yep. uh, and company. I can run the ball, so I I, I respect that. But uh, I think it will show some versatility in these offenses for sure. We'll talk more about that game later in the week. We'll talk more about the playoff races later in the show. But first, let's go to crunch time for week eight of the fall 2021 Division Three college football season. We'll start in Region 1 as Catholic took on Merchant Marine, and Merchant Marine trailed uh, midway through the second quarter. Uh, it became 20-12 to here as Mark Sheffers gets a 15-yard touchdown pass from Madden Lowe with 5-11 left in the second quarter. So 20-12, but Merchant Marine would answer. Blankenship will keep it. Blankenship first down and more. In the Catholic territory. Breaks three tackles. Now he's off to the races. Blankenship down the left sideline. One man to beat. And he goes past him. Touchdown, Merchant Marine. Ian Blankenship, 58 yards to Peter. 20-20 tie. Before halftime, Merchant Marine scores again. Matthew Savard with that 10-yard touchdown run makes it 27-20, Merchant Marine. In the second half, Owen Shields gets a 52-yard touchdown pass from Madden Lowe to tie it up again at 27 apiece. But then it was Merchant Marine's game. 
goal at the four. Blankenship keeps it. Blankenship dives into the end zone. Touchdown, Merchant Marine. Ian Blankenship with touchdown, run number 14 of the year. His second of the day, the Mariners are back in front, 33 to 27, extra point. Then with one minute left in the third quarter, Jackson Tinkus hits a 45-yard field goal to make it a two-possession lead, and they never looked back. It was 37-27 then, the final score 44-34, Merchant Marine. Blankenship, 221 total yards, two rushing and two passing touchdowns. Matt Lowe had a good day, though, at 35 for 46, 384 yards, five passing touchdowns, but two interceptions. Wow. You're going to hear a lot more from that sophomore-ish uh, player because I, I think technically he has a full four years, including this year, to play. Alfred State at Gallaudet. And at halftime, Gallaudet led 14-7 after having a 14-0 lead earlier in the half. In the second half, though, Aaron Jenkins gets a four-yard touchdown run to tie the game up at 14 apiece. Gallaudet's Mika Harvey, though, gets an 11-yard touchdown run of his own to give Gallaudet the lead at 21-14. Roman Napoleon gets a 49-yard touchdown pass from Aaron Jenkins for Alfred State with five minutes left in the fourth quarter. And that made the score 21-21. But Dawson Fontaine's 18-yard field goal gave Alfred State a 24-21 lead with a minute and a half left in regulation. A 54-yard return on a, the ensuing kickoff, though, put Gallaudet really within striking distance at the 25-yard line of Alfred State. Jonathan Waterman in for the field goal as time would expire, and it's no good from 37 yards out. And Alfred State hangs on. 24, 21, 328 total yards for Jenkins. That's three total touchdowns and an interception of the day. Mika Harvey, two rushing touchdowns for him for Gallaudet. And as we said, that missed tying field goal breaks their undefeated streak at Gallaudet. Endicott at Salve Regina. What a game I attended here. Let's first talk about Kobe Gaudet in the first drive for Endicott with a 14-yard touchdown pass from Mike Ingrafia to make it 7-0 Endicott. Uh, really, about 15 minutes later, Salve Regina does respond. Max DeVito gets the 10-yard touchdown pass from Jack McGuire to make it 7-6 Endicott as the kick failed. With four seconds left in the second quarter, on fourth down, Mike Ingrafia gets the one-yard touchdown run to give... Endicott the 14-6 lead at halftime. No scoring in the third quarter. Let's go to the fourth where Connor Welsh gets the one-yard touchdown run. A lot of controversy questions around all this entire drive, uh, but nonetheless, they did get the touchdown for 14-14. And then Welsh gets a three-yard touchdown run 13 minutes later after uh, the ball went back and forth uh, deep in Endicott territory. Salve Regina was able to get the lead for the first time in the game. 21-14, took him 58 minutes, 33 seconds to get that lead. And then the next play from offense for Endicott, Mike Ingrafia, is intercepted by Francisco Aguero, and that would do it. His first start by Aguero, by the way, and we uh, did an interview with him on Twitter. You can find that, as well as uh, two other folks that you might know and love if you're a Salve Regina fan, uh, Dylan Budnick and Coach Gil Martin. So go check those out. Connor Welsh. Two rushing touchdowns. Mike Ingrafia, 20 for 36, 215 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. JB, that was a heck of a game. And that Merchant Marine game was a heck of a game. And there were some other decent games, yeah. indeed, in Region 1 that you're going to tell us about. 
Yeah, if you have to give a shout-out to George Lampros of Mass Maritime, who had to kick five field goals <laughs> to keep his team in and uh, give them the win over uh, WestCon. Uh, the rest of the game's not as competitive. Um, we saw the, uh, the Lobster Trap trophy <laughs> the first time. Uh, that uh, giant 20-pound Lobster Trap uh, was going to go back to, um, to Banger, I guess, because uh, the Eagles of Husson uh, defeated their... Um, Mainer State uh, rivals at the University of New England, 41 to 14. Uh, Anna Maria, uh, unfortunately, their broadcast was a little blurred out. I don't know what was what was going on over there, so we couldn't show highlights from that. But the AmCats all of a sudden sitting in, in first place in the ECFC uh, all by themselves. And uh, with a big game coming up against Gallaudet, they have a chance to potentially get into the playoffs after a long time of just one and two win seasons. So quite a job there by Coach Mulroney and company up in Paxton. Let's roll the region two and what we call the game of the week became the game of the week. Indeed, Westminster at Washington and Jefferson. The teams traded field goals early, but Washington and Jefferson special teams scored again next as it was a safety off of a punt block blocked by Cameron O'Brien. 5-3 Washington Jefferson as a result. Four minutes left in the second quarter. Washington Jefferson gets more points. Andrew Wolf, a 14-yard touchdown pass from Justin Heacock to make it 12-3 at halftime in favor of W&J. In the second half, Westminster would come back. First with six minutes left, third quarter, Braden Timmons gets a two-yard touchdown pass in a kind of razzle-dazzle fashion from Frank Antuono to make it 12-10. W&J still with the lead. Westminster does take the lead, though, in the fourth quarter with 11-20 left. Tylen Elam gets a 41-yard touchdown pass from Cole Konichka to make it 16-12 Westminster. Then with 6-23 left in the fourth quarter, hey, it's that same duo one more time. Elam with a 30-yard touchdown pass from Konichka makes it 23-12 Westminster. WJ would come back with a different quarterback. Colton Jones gets inserted into the game, but he finds Andrew Wolf with 3.28 left from seven yards out to make it 23-18 Westminster. 29 seconds left, fourth and 13 at Westminster's 23. Jones has a chance here, but it's incomplete at the back of the end zone. Ian Barr credited with helping knock it away, and that would do it. Westminster wins 23-18 as Cole Konichka has a 26 for 35 day, 278 yards, two passing touchdowns. Andrew Wolf with four receptions, 29 yards, but two touchdowns in those four receptions. St. Lawrence at Hobart, and it became a challenge for Hobart in this game. Early in the game though, Tyler Groshot gets hurt, got a fourth and five play, and we don't see him again for the rest of the game. He was seen on the sideline looking okay, but they held him out as precaution. Later in the first quarter, Boswell, big hole, 40, there he goes, Boswell gets the first down, he'll get more than that, 20, 10, Boswell, 5, he's okay, he's in the end zone, touchdown, Rayshon Boswell, 63 yards. 7-0 Hobart leads, the halftime score was 10-0 Hobart, but in the fourth quarter, he had uh, no touchdown scored until this point with 8.56 left for St. Lawrence, David Sweeney with the one-yard touchdown run ties it at 10 to 10. And Ian Doyne, a uh, 21-yard field goal with 240 left, made it 13 to 10 St. Lawrence. So what happens here? Play clock at 16, he's back to throw, goes for LaBella, end zone, sliding catch, did he hang on? He did, touchdown! 
go-ahead touchdown, Alex LaBella. A little post route inside the left pylon, front of the end zone. Touchdown. St. Lawrence would have one more chance, but the Hobart defense gets to the quarterback here and helps break things up, and they would make sure that they held on to the 17-13 win. Boswell, 13 rushes, 120 yards, a touchdown. Quarterback Daniel Lawther from St. Lawrence, who came in as a backup, 21 for 33, 209 yards and an interception, but a, a really Yaman's effort there on the backup roll by him. Kane at Salisbury, it was Salisbury, Salisbury, Salisbury. Well, actually, it was Billy Gant, Billy Gant, Billy Gant, I should say here, as we'll talk <laughs> yeah. about a few of his touchdowns. Uh, five minutes into the game, Gant gets an eight-yard touchdown run to make it 7-0, to Salisbury. Then in the second quarter, David Fletcher says, hey, I can do it too. Seven-yard touchdown run by him with 524 left in the half, makes it 14-0, Salisbury. Three minutes later, Billy Gant, nine-yard touchdown run, 21-0, Salisbury. Just before halftime, he says, I'm not done yet, folks. A one-yard touchdown run for Billy Gant, 28-0, final score. 38-6, Salisbury beats Kane. Uh, Salisbury outgained Kane, 474 to 127. Billy Gant, 201 total yards, three rushing touchdowns, as you saw. And Hunter Cleaver, love the name, five receptions, 111 yards. Finally, in Region 2, Geneva at Case Western Reserve. We didn't have full game highlights, but we were able to get a couple things out of uh, here. Uh, first, I'll tell you that Geneva took a 35-28 lead on a 47-yard touchdown from Amos Luptek to Blake Pete before Case Western Reserve would respond. Uh, Lucas DeCaro gets a 20-yard touchdown pass from Drew Saxton to make it 35-35 with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. Geneva would respond with a 27-yard field goal with a minute 10 left for a three-point lead, but Case would have a chance again, this time with 20 seconds left. DeCaro is uh, found by Saxton from nine yards out. It's 42-38 Case. There is one final chance here, though, as Geneva had a, a chance and had to try the old pitch and catch uh, multiple times, but it was broken up by Case Western Reserve to secure the 42-38 victory. The teams combined for 934 total yards. Saxton with 393 yards passing and four passing touchdowns in addition to just one interception. Luptak, though, 378 total yards, three passing touchdowns, and a rushing touchdown. Kind of weird when you think about the fact that Geneva is more or less a triple option team and uh, all those passing yeah. touchdowns. That's Region 2. What do you have? Well, I mean, you said before it was all Salisbury, and it really was. I mean, they held the Cougars to minus 17 rush yards, one out of 13, and zero out of two on third and fourth down conversions. A dominant day for the Gulls um, defense, and they're pretty much at the top of the of the NJAC now and and seems like a pretty clear path to uh, to the playoffs at this point. Um, the Susquehanna McDaniel game gave us a little pause, Frank, because early on uh, the Riverhawks trailed 16 to eight and only led 17 to six at halftime, but then they managed to rattle off about 37, you know, 30 unanswered points. So um, eventually pulled away in the second half. But the first half, we, I remember you and I were texting on Saturday going like, what's going on over there? Um, whatever was happening, the Riverhawks figured it out and, and took care of business. They remain undefeated in the Centennial. More on that in a little bit. And one of the, at the very bottom uh, right corner, Alfred's quietly has rattled off four wins in a row and they're undefeated in the Empire Eight. Now, 
I don't know if they're necessarily going to be able to beat Portland um, in their next next game, but nice turnaround job by them after you know having a, a tough start to the season. Indeed. Uh, it seems like Alfred, any year that they start a little bit staggered, they find a way to get that team back on track. It, it is amazing. Yep. Uh, their ability to do that every time that we think they're just down for the count one year. They're still creeping around there, at least for an ECAC bid, uh, possibly, which uh, we hope yep. to be presenting those bids again, folks, later on uh, after mm -hmm. the season is complete, the regular season, that is. Region 3, yeah. it was Bellhaven at Howard Payne, the undefeated Howard Payne team that wanted to be ranked so badly, and we heard all about it. Well, what happened here? Bellhaven led 3-0 to zero heading into the second quarter, and then Brad Foley, remember that name Brad Foley from the uh, clip that we kept playing last uh, season, the spring? 57-yard run here uh, for the touchdown by Brad Foley, make it 10-0, Bellhaven. After halftime, it didn't get any better for Howard Payne. Colby Blunt, a 43-yard touchdown run, made it 17-0, Bellhaven. A chance at a comeback? Well, Salah Smith gets a 45-yard touchdown pass from Landon McKinney here to make it 17-10 in favor of Bellhaven with 14.46 left in regulation. But eight minutes later, Bellhaven's Bogan Brewer with the one-yard touchdown run, 24-10, and that was your final. Sort of an upset in some people's minds. Maybe not mine because I called for this. Uh, Bellhaven's offense rushed for 336 yards. Uh, Brad Foley, 28 rushes, 158 yards and a touchdown. Aaron Alder excuse me, gets 16 tackles. Aaron, sorry, I got your name wrong because you deserve to have your name said correctly with 16 tackles in the game. Region 3 continues with a Division 2 matchup of sorts uh, as Emory and Henry face Shenandoah with a minute 17 left in the first quarter. E&H had a touchdown. Devontae Jordan gets it from 6 yards out on the ground. 7-0 Emory and Henry. Later on in the game, in the third quarter, it was a fourth and four, and so uh, a little bit of a problem here, as you'll see, for Ian H. And that eventually leads to Shenandoah having great field position. Rashadeen Bird Jr., uh, we talked about him a week ago, I feel like, gets a one-yard touchdown run, makes it seven to six. Emory and Henry still leading because Patrick Ritchie's kick failed. Later on in the fourth quarter, Shenandoah would eventually be able to get within field goal range after some uh, turnovers uh, for both teams uh, seem to be plaguing them throughout this game. Here's Patrick Ritchie trying to make good on that extra point he missed earlier. Here's the snap, here's the kick, plenty of leg, it's up, and it is good! It is good! It is good! It is good! Patrick Ritchie! It is good! Redemption for Patrick Ritchie! Who missed an extra point? And the Hornets go up 9-7. to seven. Shenandoah beats Emory and Henry. Richie with that game-winning field goal. Uh, it makes up for that mistake earlier. Devontae Jordan, 36 rushes, 168 yards, and a touchdown. Want low-scoring games? It's uh, World Series season, so maybe we're looking at baseball scores here, I guess. It's Southern Virginia at Brevard. Show, show it again, JB, because uh, the slate was up there. Yep, you got it. There's... Brevard College right there on JB and we'll talk about the fact that Southern Virginia led 3-0 seven minutes into the game after a Derek Bass field goal. In the second quarter though, two minutes into it, Derek Frazier gets a 51-yard touchdown pass from uh, Taylor Jackson. Uh, so Brevard uh, with the switch of quarterback here, I'm not sure if uh, that's due to injury or what uh, caused that, but Taylor Jackson 
uh, gets that touchdown pass to Frazier for a 7-3 lead for Brevard. In the fourth quarter, Southern Virginia took over possession with 7-12 left, and on a third and 14 for Brevard's 36, Davis Pinkston was sacked for a loss of 12 yards by Stephen Kennedy, and that made a fourth and 26, Pinkston's next pass incomplete. We show this to you because Brevard was able to run out the clock. That was it, and the score was 7-3 Brevard. The teams combined for only 286 yards of offense. Brevard had nine sacks on defense, 13 tackles for loss. Derek Frazier from Brevard with that 51-yard touchdown reception we showed you. JB, I mean, nine sacks by a team. I can't remember a performance like that in all of our crunch times. Yeah, and I, I think it's one of those things where maybe it was weather, you know, impacted. There has been a, a storm that sort of worked its way up the East Coast. Um, you know, it hit Boston last night. We might get uh, some some more of it this weekend in some of the games that are going on in New England and New York. And so, um, yeah, but great defensive performance by uh, by the uh, Tornadoes. They need some help to to get into the playoffs with Huntington kind of cruising along they uh, they had a, a pretty easy win against Greenboro really in region three the only close games there are a couple in the ASC between McMurray and uh, Texas Lutheran and ETBU hangs on for a 37 to 30 win over Austin otherwise pretty kind of lopsided across the board but hey you love defensive football good job Brevard amen to that Let's go to regions four through six, and uh, we'll have a little Wisconsin action here for a couple of games. First, Whitewater at River Falls. Whitewater took an early 7-0 lead in this game and then extended it to 14-0 as Ryan Wisniewski gets a 23-yard touchdown pass from Max Myler with 6.33 left in the first quarter. So it looked like Whitewater was rolling, but before halftime, River Falls rallied, and they got 21 straight points, concluding with this touchdown pass from Cole Henriksen to Charlie Huchka, I believe is the pronunciation, 23-yard touchdown pass, 21-14 River Falls leads at halftime. Is that possible? Well, in the third quarter, Sam Delaney says, no, 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 that's not really possible. A 25-yard touchdown pass from Max Myler uh, makes it 21-21, five minutes into the half. And then eight minutes later, Alex Pete gets the lead back for Whitewater with a six-yard touchdown run, 28-21 Whitewater. In the fourth quarter, though, River Falls tries to come back, and they do with Andy Grebner getting a 24-yard touchdown pass from Hendrickson to make it 28-28. Later, though, Matt Maldonado will get a 28-yard field goal that was good, so there it's 31-28 Whitewater, and then in the ensuing kickoff, uh, a travesty of sorts for River Falls as they lose the ball on the kickoff, thinking they had a chance here to maybe win the game and just end the game with uh, the way the clock was with about five minutes left there. Uh, actually, three minutes left uh, at that point. And instead, it's going to be Whitewater getting another field goal. But still, there was a last chance for River Falls. Their first play from offense, though, Henriksen intercepted by Kyle Koblinger. And that was it. So good try by River Falls, but they fall 34-28 in the game. As we said, River Falls did lead at the half, 21-14. Henriksen, 291 total yards, four passing touchdowns, two interceptions, however. Uh, maybe sunk them uh, toward the end there. Matt Maldonado, two for three on field goals, including those two fourth-quarter field goals that gave them the lead. 
So also in Wisconsin, Stout took on Lacrosse. This is a weird game of sorts, so just follow along here, folks. Stout was up seven to zero early, and then nine minutes into the game, Sean Borgerding, excuse me, gets a four-yard touchdown run for Stout to make it fourteen to zero. Lacrosse would rally though, and stop me if you heard that one before. Uh, Stout was up seventeen fourteen late in the half. Lacrosse gets a thirty-three-yard touchdown pass from Jacob Parks to. Uh, Sorensen here with a 21-17 lead. That would be the halftime score in favor of Lacrosse. In the third quarter, Lacrosse took a 31-23 lead, but the fourth quarter was action-packed. 8-10 left. Lacrosse's Jack Struder gets a five-yard touchdown pass from Parks to make it 38-23 Lacrosse. This thing's over, right? No. Stout, well, less than a minute later, gets an 85-yard touchdown pass from Borgerding to Cox. 38. 31, Arthur Cox on that great reception get, puts them within a, a, a touchdown again, a Stout. But lacrosse answers. Brad Tobin, a 24-yard touchdown run with 3.05 left, makes it 44-31 in favor of lacrosse. Minute 27 left, Stout's Parker Fossum gets a 12-yard touchdown pass from Borgating to make it 44-38 lacrosse. But lacrosse couldn't run out the clock. For some reason, with six seconds left, Brad Tobin's two-yard loss here only took four seconds off the clock. So Stout would have one last chance, and it's another one of those trying to pitch and catch all around the field scenarios. It does not work out as it's eventually fumbled, and I, Lacrosse would get possession. But I can't believe they couldn't run that clock out and gave him a chance here. Lacrosse does win 44-38. Borgardine 20 for 29, 341 yards, four touchdowns, and two interceptions. For Stout, uh, he also had a rushing touchdown. Cade Osborne, 11-yard interception return for touchdown earlier on for lacrosse. Finally, in Region 6 specifically, Chapman at Redlands. This kind of was a deciding game for the Sky Act for all intents and purposes. 28-24, Redlands wins as Nathan Martinez for Redlands has a 23-for-33 day, 354 yards and a passing touchdown. Johnson McIntyre for Chapman, 272 yards, uh, total yards, a passing touchdown and an interception. This takes a while always, so I'm going to sit back and relax and let you tell the folks about <laughs> all the fun action in Regions 4 through 6. So yeah, Regions 1 through 3 had 57 games. This back half, 55, lots of stuff going on. Some of the lopsided results with some of the teams at the very top of the you know of the standings not surprising there but there were a few things that jumped out at me frank for any of you guys or fans or whoever that's watching the pool c race john carroll narrowly winning at marietta is interesting if you're a w and j fan you need the blue streaks to to keep winning and keep winning out to keep your uh, potential Pool C bit hopes alive if you don't somehow win the pack through a crazy tiebreaker situation. Um, Capital gets a, a bit of a upset over Ohio Northern, thirty-five to twenty-eight, which was interesting. And our, our poor friend Greg Thomas's uh, Little Giants uh, lose in overtime to Ohio Wesleyan to take their second loss in the NCAC, and I think that'll pretty much do it for um, their their playoff hopes. Speaking of overtime, <coughs> Carlton. Staying in the mix in the in the MIAC with a 28-27 OT win over Concordia Moorhead. Um, North Park, which was a, a team that we talked about in the D3Football.com quick picks, or quick hits rather. Uh, there were some picks in there too. Uh, wins 45-3 over Elmhurst. Um, the 
Midwest Conference game that we talked about last week, Frank, between Chicago and Ripon goes to the Maroons. And then finally, Whitworth out there, um, 66-7. I know we don't ever really talk about uh, Pool C candidates from the Northwest Conference, Frank, but, I mean, if they're only losses to Linfield and Linfield's a top-10 ranked team, it's going to be tough to see uh, see a Pirates team maybe go into the end of the regular season 9-1 and one and not ever really make the board. True story there. Uh, we'll see uh, what their strength of schedule looks like by the end of this and uh, how their uh, other attributes uh, figure out. Unfortunately, being out in an island there of sorts does not allow really, for yeah. some great out-of-conference games, and that's the problem. But we'll talk more about that as the season progresses. But that was crunch time for Week 8 of the fall 2021 Division Three college football season. I'm telling you, it's catching on. JB's MVPs, come on, man. Uh, you, you don't think people are enjoying this stuff. They want to hear about who your MVPs of Week 8 are. Hit it. All right. Well, one of the games that we had talked about last week, Frank, um, was... Uh, you know, game in the MIAA and hope really needed to literally be, you know, carried along by their running back, Daniel Romano, who had a career high 244 rushing yards, including the effectively clinching touchdown that helped them win uh, 19 to seven, just a workman esque effort um, by Romano in a career game. And so he was my offensive uh, MVP. Had to take a little break from the quarterbacks, Frank, you know, we got to, you know, share the love. I probably should have, you know, given some offensive line shout outs, but I still have a few more weeks before that's said and done. Um, freshman place kicker Matt Maldonado of Whitewater did miss a field goal, but he kicked the two that really mattered in the fourth quarter to, to give his team a very hard fought win uh, to keep them undefeated and at the top of the standings in the WIAC. So a great effort by him. And not only did he, uh, you know, kick a couple of key field goals, he, uh, he also added um, you know, some PATs. He was averaging over 35 yards per punt. He had 57 yards on kickoffs. I mean, that, that, that kid has a, a pretty impressive leg. So good for him. 10 points total scored, and, and the Warhawks needed every single one of those. And finally, um, we heard about this guy a lot in the springtime. Uh, Shenandoah, one of their senior linebackers, Ben Bergen, he had a 16 tackle nine, or sorry, four tackle for a loss game um, in that close call uh, uh, in the win um, by two points over Emory and Henry. A really awesome effort by him. And so he is my defensive player, uh, MVP of the week. You could have picked the entire uh, defense of Brevard technically with those uh, nine sacks and 13 tackles for loss. I mean, <laughs> too, too many guys. <laughs> <laughs> Try to fit it onto the screen. I, I'm not sure we would have yeah, seen right, it. Uh, yeah, but uh, and also, uh, who's the uh, kicker that uh, ended up making uh, from uh, Shenandoah the, uh, the kick that uh, won it against Emory and Henry? There, I want to make sure we have Patrick Ritchie after missing Patrick the extra Ritchie. point. Yep. yep, that would have been mm-hmm. a, a possibility as well uh, for special teams. So uh, you had some choices uh, this week for sure. And uh, j- by mentioning your names, folks. You should at least feel like MVPs of sorts. Uh, you know, maybe maybe not 100%. We get it, but uh, you had some great <laughs> efforts out there, and we uh, want to at least mention those like we did in crunch time. Undefeated teams remaining. Uh, 18 of them uh, are out there in terms of Division Three undefeated. Uh, if you lose yeah, a game to D2, uh, we don't count it in this respect, and we also aren't going to look at the NESCAC teams here uh, when we uh, talk about that. So 18 left. 
Two in Region 1, DelVal Merchant Marine. Four in Region 2, Cortland and Ithaca. They face off against each other. So does Ithaca and Union. So you may lose two of those mm-hmm. uh, at a minimum. Yep. Uh, but it's possible you lose only one if Ithaca lost both of those games. Uh, Susquehanna as well. Uh, they'll face... <laughs> This little team named uh, Muhlenberg, I, I, I heard about. They're they're pretty and good Hopkins. too. I, yeah. yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> Birmingham Southern and uh, Mary Harden Baylor uh, are uh, out there hanging out as undefeateds as well. And Trinity Texas in Region Three as well. Uh, DePaul and Mount Union are the only Region Four undefeateds. That surprises me a little bit there. That that's yeah. the selection right now. Region Five Central Lake Forest, who's got that big Mammoth game uh, coming up, and North Central. And Region 6, Linfield, St. John's, Lacrosse, and Whitewater. Uh, Lacrosse, Whitewater. That one's coming up soon, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. And and now I'm thinking, I'm scratching my head because I'm trying to think of what, you know, with Monmouth is like. Are they, I did the same thing. That's funny. That's funny yeah, because I you know because they did, well they, they lost they lost to Warburg in week one and we kind of forget about that um, yep. that was a non conference game but still a D three game so they're six and zero in in the in the Midwest but yeah I had forgotten about that that surprising Warburg loss and so well maybe that t- you know bodes well for um, for our friends up at Lake Forest because they you know as as Jim Canzaro said on and many different venues um our show and others uh that you know monmouth is still kind of the the reigning champs and so it's up to them to to take them down and and get that potential playoff bid and and also stay undefeated it's it's getting a little bit trickier out there frank if you look at the you know the the sort of list of teams i mean birmingham southern plays trinity pretty soon um you know, like you said, lacrosse and Whitewater, that game's coming up. Uh, and then, yeah, Ithaca, Susquehanna, you, all of those teams uh, could potentially uh, lose games coming up. So, yeah, 18 are hanging in there, but it's not going to be that many by the time the season's over. Indeed. Um, just uh, trying to get up our playoff races uh, slides here uh, on my end. And uh, we want to go through all 27 again uh, in terms of the conferences. Uh, it's, at a certain point, we might be able to not talk about a few of these conferences because we'll actually have winners. Yeah. Uh, but uh, at week nine, uh, heading into week nine, we don't really have a lot of clarity except for one possibility I can name right now, maybe a couple. Uh, but in terms of solidifying 110%, there is one race that could be done this weekend. We'll tell you about it coming up here. Region one, uh, you've got a lot of carnage uh, that has occurred. Uh, it's technically a four-way tie when you add Husson into the, uh, the mix here as well. Uh, Endicott, wow. Salve, Western New England, and Husson, who uh, really is a game down in terms of the win column because they have not played as many games. Uh, so yeah. the tiebreaker analysis uh, would say right now Endicott would win a three-way race uh, if we end up in that merry-go-round one-loss situation. But strength of schedule is so moving still because of mm. the number of games that have been played versus the number of games left. So your strength of schedule can change remarkably over the next three weeks. Don't take any solace in thinking that you have, you know, a certain strength of schedule figure when that's your tiebreaker. Uh, in the ECFC, yeah. Anna Maria versus Gallaudet looks like will be the championship game of sorts out there uh, at this point. ECFC to have it come down to that game. If you told me that, uh, you know, two years ago. 
that that would have been it, I would have been like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. Uh, Maritime Dean, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> uh, nope, it's Anna Marie and Gallaudet. In the Mac, uh, Del Val looks like they are the uh, ones to go out and beat. Uh, what was it, Widener, uh, we thought was going to have a chance uh, at them. and They dropped off this weekend, yeah. Yep, so uh, Del Val looks like the class of the class. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think they can put it away yet. I think they have to wait till week 10 no. to put it away officially. Uh, MASCAC, we're waiting for that Framingham State-Bridgewater State game. Uh, that will probably be the de facto championship game for the MASCAC. In the new MAC, Merchant Marine clinches Saturday. Some people have called it the championship game. It is not technically because if Springfield wins, excuse me, then it continues and you have a lot of possibilities when it comes to Catholic. And I will tell you, I can't give my source here because the new Mac office is not responding to us on this. Apparently, they like to keep this close to the vest for whatever reason. It's a tiebreaker, folks. We need to know what the hell it is. So please, post it, okay? You can't... There's a transparency (laughs) issue here. We need to know what your tiebreaker is, okay? Look at what happened to the USA South. Let's just remember that. Don't be the USA South, New Mac. We like you too much for that to happen. Okay. Yeah. Soapbox done. Uh, the answer is it's going to come down to strength of schedule just like the CCC if you end up in a three-way, one-loss oh. tie. So yeah, that's what it is. I, I actually got the document from somebody, and oh. that's what it is. Yes. Yeah. So we'll, we'll verify it, but and uh, we'll tweet about what the situation exactly is after the show is released. Uh, we didn't get a chance to do the research for this show, but that's what it is. Um, Region 2, Susquehanna sitting in the catbird seat, but they have a gauntlet to go through still. Cortland, Alfred, your Empire 8 championship game, essentially? I mean, is that what it's really coming down to here? Yeah, it seems like it, especially when you look at the the kind of the conference records. I mean, and Cortland already has a head-to-head win over Brockport, so... I mean, they would have to lose multiple games through the the home stretch, and the rest of their schedule, at least up until they play Ithaca, isn't really too demanding. So, I think if Cortland can take care of the Saxons, and they'll be heavily favored to do so this weekend, I believe is when they're playing. Uh, you can start to you know kind of pencil, and that underline on the on the slide is really to indicate that you know we we think that the Red Dragons are a pretty heavy favorite to win the Empire Eight. Yeah, uh, and we don't have an underline on the next line uh, because it's Ithaca Union Hobart RPI. Who knows, man? Yeah, the, total crapshoot at this point. All four of them, <laughs> if you wanted to, right now. As who the hell yeah. wants to step forward and win this thing now? Well, we'll get some clarity this weekend as RPI hosts Ithaca yeah. and Union hosts Hobart. Finally, we're getting the round robin we've all been waiting for uh, in between these teams. So there is that. Obviously, Hobart and RPI with the loss, uh, if Ithaca were to beat RPI, RPI would likely be out of the entire conversation. If RPI beats Ithaca, then this just continues as all hell breaking loose here. Union and Hobart, same story. If Hobart were to beat Union and RPI were to beat Ithaca this weekend, all four at one loss. I ain't even going to try to venture into a tiebreaker analysis for that situation because it starts getting really hairy. Salisbury is probably your winner because they've beaten Kane, who has one loss. 
Uh, and then TCNJ and Christopher Newport each have two losses in the conference, so technically still alive. But I, I, let's just say until Salisbury loses a game, we're just going to keep them underlined right now. In the pack, yep. uh, see Liberty League Centennial Conference to CCC for more information because there's just no way to figure this one out right now. Uh, Carnegie Mellon beat Westminster. W&J is beaten by yeah. Westminster. W&J still has to face Carnegie Mellon at the end of the season. Grove City is sitting there as well, looking to play spoiler. Uh, this could be another situation where you're not going to be able to tell what's what or who's who for another two weeks, to be honest with you. Yeah. Region 3, Mary Hard Baylor, still at the top of the heap. Without Howard Payne there right now, essentially they are within striking distance of closing out the ASC and getting the automatic bid because they've already beaten Harden-Simmons in the ODAC. Washington and Lee still with that lead, but Randolph-Macon, who lost to Washington and Lee, still hoping for something strange to happen. Uh, you know, you've, you've got a few games left here, so WNL could possibly trip up somewhere. Hampton-Sydney, though, still stalking back there, too, with only one loss, and uh, that could be yep. important to think about but remember Emory and Harry beat them also so the teams with one loss have been both beaten by Washington and Lee so they are in a great position in the SAA Birmingham Southern and Trinity that's probably where this is going we've been saying it for a while in the USA South uh, Huntington is in a similar position as uh, we were talking about Washington and Lee there are two teams with one loss but they've beaten both of those teams already so Huntington is, is sitting pretty at 5-0 and in the conference, while the one-loss teams are probably in trouble here because uh, they'd have to have Huntington lose twice in the meantime. Mm. Region 4, Rose Holmans, Mount St. Joseph, uh, who uh, was a surprising uh, loss, I believe, this week, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they and, lost to Defiance by a point, yeah. Yeah, that and Hanover are in the conversation. Rose Holman, though, still has some games uh, big games to be played in this whole uh, equation, uh, specifically as I go to uh, their schedule, uh, Mount St. Joseph at the end of the season. That might become the de facto championship game unless Mount St. Joseph trips up again. Uh, Hanover, though, yep. has already been beaten by uh, Rose Holman. And, uh, you know, Mount St. Joseph, I believe, still plays Hanover. Is that uh, not accurate? Yep. So Mount St. Joseph has so. uh, two big games uh, coming up here against both of these teams. In the MIAA, Hope, Trine, and Albion, all with one loss. <laughs> Good luck to everybody here. Or, excuse me, Hope and Trine are undefeated. Albion with one loss, I should say. In the conference, uh, yeah. In the conference. So, uh, Hope versus Trine. I uh, just want to see what the date is on that game. I believe that's coming up uh, any week now. I think it's in week 10. Yeah, a lot of these week 10 big games coming up here. Now, it's week 11, actually. Uh, okay. And the 13th. So that, that is uh, going to end mm -hmm. the season, and possibly we'll have to wait for that to get Thanks clarity there. And the NCAC, yeah. DePaul, as we keep saying, is uh, getting a better and better look to them, uh, especially now with Wabash having lost. And, you know, that, that I would have thought that that was going to be kind of your de facto championship game, and you can't say that anymore. It's, it's That's gone. And. You know, they have Denison coming up this week. So if Denison beats them, then Denison has the lead in the NCAC. If DePaul beats Denison, I don't know how it would be possible for anybody except Wabash technically 
maybe in a two-loss tie scenario, but you'd have to have DePaul lose twice, and that's probably not going to happen if uh, they win this weekend. Finally, uh, Mount Union, Baldwin-Wallace, John Carroll. Uh, Mount Union, the underline, because Mm -hmm. it's Mount Union. I mean, what else do you want me to say? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Region 5, uh, ARC seems to be uh, Central's conference right now. Dubuque and Wartburg just behind them in the CCIW mm-hmm. North Central. Uh, the question about Wheaton getting a pool C bid with bad strength of schedule potentially uh, is an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Midwest Conference, the big game coming up, Lake Forest, Monmouth, who's the man of the Midwest Conference, as Jim Catanzaro would say yeah. at this point. In, in the NACC, the NAC, Benedictine, and Aurora, uh, that game is coming up officially. I don't want to take up too much time here, but this week as well. So some another game that will probably determine who the Pool A winner will be there. Region 6, St. John's, Bethel. We still have a championship game to be played there. Northwest Conference, Linfield yep. looks like they're pretty safe, but George Fox still has a chance at them here. Uh, Whitworth yeah, they play them loss. this weekend. Yep, another big game. Skyak, Redlands beat Chapman, so they just have to close out here to win the conference in the WIAC. Yep. Whitewater and Lacrosse waiting for that one to play out, and uh, that could mm-hmm. go. And after seeing what River Falls was able to do, that could really go either way here. That that's the amazing mm-hmm. thing. We thought that Whitewater was infallible here, but any given Saturday here in Week Ten, it's going to be at. Whitewater that game, so uh, at least uh, they've okay. got the rock in the background. And in the UMAC, mm-hmm. Greenville with the lead, Minnesota Morris one game back, but they still, I believe, play each other. Is that not accurate? Yeah, I think they play each other in week 11. Yeah. So for those of you that uh, have been watching the week eight uh, postscript show, here's the week nine preview show. I've tied into it. It's been just a wacky week uh, with not just football for us, but other real life stuff going on. And so Uh, Yeah, yeah, we wanted to put these two shows together. Uh, There's some other stuff going on this weekend that we can't really tell you about yet, but it's it's stuff that uh, will sort of push us into a situation where we can't do a live show uh, this week because of some of my travel and where I'll be. And we'll tell you more about it on Twitter as things happen here. So we want to start uh, going through the games in each region. We've got 14 of them we're highlighting here, so uh, buckle up, fasten your seatbelts, but we'll take a stop right uh, inside Region 1. We'll explain why in a second. Region 1 is Trinity versus Williams uh, in the NESCAC, which is a battle of undefeated uh, right off the bat here. And uh, Williams looked great to start the season, has looked decent throughout the rest of the season, obviously, but going undefeated. Trinity, though... That's that team that you every year you, you feel like they could win this conference. It doesn't always happen. Middlebury took it last time, but Trinity trying to bounce back here. This will be one to watch for sure in the NESCAC. Then Merchant Marine versus Springfield. Battle of the double-triple option going on there uh, in Springfield. This is one, obviously it's tough to pick for us, uh, but you know, let's talk about the implications. 1994, I think, was the last time they were in the playoffs, uh, losing to Plymouth State in uh, that year. That was the days when it was only 16 teams, I believe, in the playoffs mm. in 94. Yep. Uh, now, obviously, in the 32-team field, they still haven't been able to get in there. If they win, they're in. That's it for Merchant Marine. Springfield? Well, uh, if they want to survive and get to the playoffs, they must win. 
but it's uh, an elimination game for them or a stay alive game. It is not the true de facto championship. JB, we had a special announcement on Wednesday. Tell folks about what happened. Well, uh, for the first time in a while, uh, at least as I, that I can recall anyway, a uh, Division Three player uh, in Joshua King, a senior linebacker for the United States Merchant Marine Academy, was named a finalist for the Campbell Trophy, which is uh, recognition for kind of like the sort of the best all around guy, <laughs> you could say, in, in the NCAA football world. It, you know, it's it's a academic award. You have to have a, a very high GPA. You have to have done a certain amount of community service or involvement um, and, you know, be on a successful team and, and be contributing to a, a winning season and so on and so forth. And, you know, Captain uh, King, he is the, one of the co-captains of the Mariners, um, checks all of those boxes. He's a great guy. And we had a really uh, nice conversation with him as your second, I think, Frank, as you did speak with him earlier in the season. And there's some little back and forth about that near the end, uh, which, which is pretty fun. But yeah, here's our interview with uh, senior linebacker from Merchant Marine Academy, Josh King. Josh, so Every anytime someone wins a big award or some recognition, the, the obvious question is, where were you? How'd you find out about it? What what was going on? And what was your reaction when you were told that you were named to uh, the Campbell Trophy finalist list uh, back on Wednesday? Uh, so this was uh, right before practice. Uh, I had saw our superintendent and our athletic director and our assistant athletic director all standing on the field. And I just kind of brushed it by I didn't really think much of it and coach Tube kind of called the team together like we normally do before practice and he just started talking about kind of like awards and then I kind of thought in my head I was like ah, I think I know where this is going and within a minute I knew exactly where he was going with it and they had a, a nice video for me saying hey I, I made a finalist for the Campbell Trophy so I was right there I had feelings where I was just kind of speechless and I don't know if they, they took a video but I just didn't know what to say I was just super appreciative and, and extremely thankful now I want to clarify uh, what our screen says is accurate but just so that folks aren't confused named D3 Campbell Trophy finalist Wednesday this is not a D3 only award this is a national award across divisions uh, for uh, NCAA football <laughs> and uh, you are the only division three finalist uh, now the odds are against you I don't believe anybody has won it from division three since 2003 but just to be honored by being named in this position has to be special to you. Tell us what your thoughts are and what do you get just for getting to this point? I, I, I've read something there that uh, you might get something as an award just for being a finalist. So tell us what's next for you with respect to this award. Yeah, so for being a finalist, uh, from what I've read so far, it is an $18,000 postgraduate scholarship. Um, and then I am being flown out to Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, so for a, a nice dinner and so they'll present the number one finalist at that dinner and so I think with that you get a couple goodies and, and get to really network and meet some really really cool people so I think that's the the biggest the biggest plus of the uh, of the award free trip to Vegas sounds pretty good to me Frank um, that, that's pretty sweet so Josh you you actually saw this guy uh, after a game um, basically right back at the very beginning of the season. And so, you know, here you are, um, you know, eight, nine weeks in, 
you have a chance to go 8-0 and potentially be one of the very first teams in Division Three to clinch a playoff spot, which you know we will have to ask our, our buddy Joe Guster when, when the last time that happened for the Mariners. How does it feel with this big game coming up on Saturday against Springfield to know that if you guys win, you're getting in? Um, I think it, it definitely adds a little bit more uh, excitement to the game. But I think as a team, we just have to focus and, and make sure that we know that it's another Saturday that we get to play together and play our hearts out and we'll have a, a, a record to be proud of. Now, Springfield, Springfield's an interesting uh, case here because uh, you this was before your time, I believe. But the reason uh, Merchant Marine plays triple option is due to Springfield. Uh, you were handed, or the academy was handed, basically a 60-something to nothing, I think, loss uh, many years ago. And Coach Toop looked at the offense and said, you know what, that offense might have to work here. And since that point, it's uh, been history. Now, the interesting thing, you know, you're on defense here, but you have to face your offense in practice all the time. What's this all going to mean when we have, I believe, the first real triple option team that your team will face all season that you're going up against here? And is it a little unnerving here? What are you guys doing to help prepare uh, for this situation? Has practice all season long helped you in this respect? Yeah, I would definitely say seeing the triple option offense every single day of practice definitely helps out. And it really comes down to everybody doing their 111th and playing responsibility football. So I think that's been the biggest thing that we've focused on and harped on this week is just do your 111th and we'll we'll make sure that everything ends well. So, Josh, uh, one of the things that, that uh, kind of taking on Frank's you know, same question, you know, I th I'm thinking of the, you know, the Spider-Man meme where you got the two Spider-Mans like pointing at each other. Is this is this game sort of a little bit of like looking in the in the mirror um, just because of the fact, like you said, you guys practice against the triple option all the time. But there has to be and this is for maybe the, the non football people out there. There has to be certain nuances to that offense that like your average fan doesn't know about. And I'm sure the way Springfield runs things may not be the exact same like the Mariners do. Are there little subtleties in the triple option from a defensive perspective? Is it always just really about the quarterback and being in the right gap for the pitch guy? Um, I, I think one of the special things about the triple option is the offensive linemen are not always the biggest offensive linemen and they get off the ball very fast. So understanding defensively, when the ball snapped, you could have one or two guys in your face within a matter of a second. So I think looking at the triple option from a defensive perspective, you have one or two guys in your face within a matter of one to two seconds. So that's probably the, the biggest difference uh, in comparison to playing a traditional spread spread offense. It's it's a big difference. You've got kind of lighter guys that are they're coming at you a lot faster than, than maybe your typical 280, 300-pound offensive lineman. So, JB alluded to the, the record so far, and uh, it's been 53 years, if my math is correct, since a 7-0 start occurred at Merchant Marine Academy in football. Uh, there's a long story tradition there with uh, the alumni and Coach Toop being one of them, and he's told us how he's talked to past teams and classmates from uh, the past to tell them how special you guys are. But what has the reaction internally been? What kind of messages have you guys gotten, visits, etc., concerning this really special season that we're watching play out in front of us here because of you guys? 
we've definitely gotten a lot of attention, especially from the alumni, and I mean, we've loved every bit of it, and I think what we do best is during the week, we make sure that we focus on being 1-0 every week, and we understand that we are still undefeated, but if we kind of condense that record in, into 1-0 every week, it makes it a lot easier when it comes to game time. Okay, Josh, let me let me uh, kind of go here with uh, something uh, inside information. You know, I, I should have been a military guy, they told me. So, you know, inside information, I got on the sidelines uh, when I was at the MIT game a couple weeks ago was uh, from a photographer who uh, you may know pretty well that you got razzed pretty badly about your shout outs when we were at FDU Florham and you had a great game that night. Uh, and that Friday night game, he's let off my season uh, with a Merchant Marine win, and uh, I've gotten to see two wins now, but you didn't get an opportunity against MIT to maybe clear up the record a little bit about your shout-outs. And I'm going to give you the opportunity here. You know, you're a quick learner, I hear, from Coach Toop, so here we go. First, maybe explain what happened shout-out-wise, and then rectify the situation with your shout-outs right now, Joshua King. So uh, during the FD, after the FDU game, I did not shout out the most important person in my life, my mother, Sheridan King. And so I, I really wouldn't be the person that I am, and especially receiving the Campbell Trophy Award. So just a special shout out to my mom and my dad, and I know my sister will be watching. So special shout out to the King family, and uh, love love you guys, and appreciate everything that you guys do. But JB, let me let me clear up one thing. He did thank the Mariner family out there, and you know that that's a special thing right there. So I I mean I, I'm going to give you one more opportunity here too, Josh, because I don't want you to get into any more trouble here. You got enough things to worry about with this trophy, with Springfield, the season, playoffs, possibly. Uh, any defensive linemen or safeties or anybody you want to spotlight on here, just so that they don't say, what, okay, great, you talked about your family, but this time you left us all out. What the hell? Well, my shout-out goes specifically to my immediate family, but everybody on the field that I practice with knows that I'm, I am, they, they are my family as well. So to the, to the King family and the Kings Point family, I appreciate every single one of you guys. I like that. That was a great way to just get it right together. King family and Kings Point family. You've been working on that one, I bet, uh, over the last couple of days. That's a good one. <laughs> right, that right there. Thank you to Josh. Thank you to Joe Guster, SID, over at uh, Merchant Marine Academy for setting that up. Thanks to Coach Toop as well. Let's go back to uh, the preview, and uh, I'll take Region 2 and let you have the rest. Uh, Hobart Union. Uh, you're wearing a Hobart shirt. I'm wearing a Union hat real fast here. Um, <laughs> yes, that's it's, it. It's our, it is our annual rivalry week, Frank. We always got to represent our teams. And I know that some of the Hobart faithful are feeling like, oh, JB's not being a team player. Come on, guys. It's the biggest game of the year for us every year. And that's it. you got to get a little extra fired up. You know what? When we were speaking with Tom Gauze, he, you know, reminded me. Oh, he asked us about the. Sometimes when we get these feedbacks or you know from fans or whatever, one of my favorite memories that I forgot because it was literally ten years ago was when I picked against Hobart against St. John Fisher in September of 2011, and Hobart won 56 to 20. And one of the Hobart players, a guy named Jared Blades, who we had on the show many many moons ago somehow got my cell phone number from the alumni directory and called me up in California to gloat over the fact that my pick was wrong. Ha 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 ha. We had a great laugh about it. And that's what it's all about, guys. You know, 
bring it. Let's see what happens. We'll see if somebody needs my cell phone number after this weekend and a certain pick coming up uh, a little bit later. Uh, Washington Jefferson, at, oh, excuse me, I should look at the rest of the line there. Ithaca versus RPI, can't ignore that. That's parents big. being allowed in, at least the seniors' parents for senior day. Uh, and uh, there are 50 seniors, uh, seniors and super seniors that are going to be honored. Uh, I understand that after the game, uh, there's going to be a more formal ceremony. Uh, and dinner off campus. So they're really doing it up the right way, all things considered after what we've been through uh, with them uh, in terms of reporting this. So uh, we we may try to get over there uh, to say hi to them because there is an offset, uh, we being me, uh, obviously, but uh, there's an offset in time on Saturday, noontime, 1 o'clock, Union uh, starting up, and I'm going to be covering the Union-Hobart game, uh, I should officially say right now. Uh, We have not covered Union this season. We have covered RPI and Ithaca at points this season. We try to spread the wealth, as you folks know, so that's going to be the call uh, for this weekend, and we'll see where we go from there. Uh, Washington-Jefferson Grove City, this is really a survival game for both. You lose, and there's yeah. not much chance for you to win the pack right now, which is a four-way race, as we've uh, detailed. Susquehanna versus Johns Hopkins. Here's the first gauntlet game for Susquehanna. It's a big one. Big and then Muhlenberg follows uh, the following week. So you'll want to take a look at that one. Take uh, the rest of what we got here, the uh, last eight games. Okay, so now jumping down to my neck of the woods in the southeast U.S., Birmingham Southern, who keeps you know bumping up in the top 20 rankings here, is traveling to northwest Georgia to take on the Barry Vikings, the defending, well, spring and prior years uh, SAA champions. Um, you know, if, if, if BSC wants to, you know, to get into that next, next run, this is a big, big game for them. And then also a little further up, um, you know, closer to the Carolinas, Brevard versus Methodist. This is a game that Brevard really needs to win in order to keep them uh, in the hunt for a potential pool A bid if Huntington trips and, and or could get them a home game as a ECAC bowl uh, potential uh, participant. They have been in, the, in those bowl games in the past and a win here would help them be in a better position to possibly host one of those. Out in Region 4, Denison versus DePauw, uh, NCAC uh, rivalry game. Trine versus Albion, same thing. DePauw and Trine are the favorites. Can Denison or Albion knock them off and create some havoc in their conferences remains to be seen. Dubuque versus Coe, kind of the same thing. Really the biggest game in, in Region 5 and or 4 is Lake Forest versus Monmouth. Um, the Foresters have had a great season. They're one of the 18 remaining undefeated teams. Monmouth has lost, but they are kind of the defending champs, big you know, BMOC, you could say. Um, and so good luck to Coach uh, Catanzaro and company. That will be a big game out in the Midwest. And then finally, out in the Northwest, George Fox is going to try to take on uh, Linfield, maybe knock them from the top of the Northwest. Uh, but, you know, the Wildcats look pretty pretty impressive and so that will be a, a tough out for them and then out in, in minneapolis area um gustavus adolphus versus carlton uh will be uh, a big game in the mayak what do you say we uh predict some of these games uh we've already talked to our uh, player guest and uh I, I think we should bring in our uh set there and look at the totals you know, and one last little thing I'm reminded, Frank, I, 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 and I don't want to make this short shrift. Um, it was brought to my attention uh, through 
the uh, d3playbook.com um, newsletter. If you haven't oh, checked yeah. that out, it's a great I think I saw what you're newsletter. talking about. Yep. Yeah, and this is something, um, you know, I don't really know a ton about these programs, to be fair, but it is a very important thing to bring up the fact that um, Saturday in St. Paul, Minnesota, there is going to be, for the very first time, a history-making uh, matchup when Hamline takes on uh, McAllister's, uh, I guess, Hamlin's head coach is Chip Taylor, and McAllister has an interim head coach in uh, Kijan Ware. And it will be the first time in over 100 years that two black head coaches have faced off each other in any sport out in, in the MIAC. This is a big deal, and certainly something, especially given, you know, everyone knows what's been what happened out in, in Minneapolis a few you know, last year and all that stuff. This is a big deal for this, I think, for this community, for this country. And so, um, you know, like I said, I don't know a ton about these teams. If I had to pick off the top of my head, I'd probably say Hamline because I think they're having a little bit of a better season. Um, and, you know, usually teams with interim head coaches are in a bit of a you know transition period. They're trying to build back up. But that is a game that I think we absolutely have to shout out. And I wish uh, both of those coaches and both of uh, those programs nothing but the best. And congratulations on making history on Saturday. Indeed. Uh, that is uh, one of those things people ask us why uh, year after year, year we come back. The stories, the storylines, the, the first times for everything type thing. It's always a unique situation. Uh, every year you'll find in Division Three and a, a tremendous uh, situation there. Uh, you know, one would say it should have happened sooner. Absolutely. But better late than never is another uh, view that I think is important when it comes down to making sure it does happen eventually. So congratulations. Uh, your winners without even playing uh, on that field. So here we go with that game. Uh, we are uh, not predicting it, however. Uh, we are predicting 14 other games that we've talked about already. And so, 14? Uh, 14. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Yeah. So, In I, 11 I, I, minutes? Is this really possible? Let's do it. Okay. There it is. And the clock will begin after I name your first game. Are you ready? Are you Let's set? Go. I, I would, I'm but. <laughs> I've, I've got to find our games first, and I've got it now. I will tell you that Region 1 comes up first as Trinity versus Williams. Uh, go ahead. We're going to start the clock. Uh, my Winter Park, Florida uh, neighbor, Spencer Fetter, the starting quarterback for the Trinity College Banthams, is going to have a big game. Sorry, Coach Ray. Thank goodness I'm a 1,000-plus miles away, so I can't you know, catch grief. I do feel like the Banthams are the team in the NESCAC this year. 38 to 31, Trinity wins. Coach Ray, I need games. Get this. Get me a game here because I'm picking Williams. The Eves, come on! It's the Eves year. This is it. The little, uh, the biggest little game is going to be a huge, important game coming up. Williams wins this one though by a final score of 28, 20. Bobby, don't let me down. Also, Region One, Merchant Marine at Springfield. At Springfield, a, with a triple option scenario, I really have to give the edge to Springfield here. It's been a dream season for Merchant Marine, and Josh deserves all those kudos and everything, and the team does as well. I just feel a gut thing here that Springfield's going to win this. Final score, huh, 
31-27. I think if the Mariners were going to lose, they would have lost MIT or Catholic, just the way those offenses go. A little too familiar with the triple option. I think the I think the Kinger, um, Josh King, and the defense will will hang in there, and Mariners pull away 45-35. Region two, Hobart Union. Good luck. We've already talked about this game like three times this week. Do we really need to pick it again? Well, actually, you don't because we're going to uh, play our uh, analysis uh, back on Twitter. So you picked Union. I picked Union is the answer to that question. Scores uh, inside Goss's podcast that we'll put go up. Hobart. Uh, go Union. Uh, if you get RPI, however, I will ask you to go first, son. Yeah, this is going to be a tough one because RPI always seems to have the Bombers number when they play them in Troy. But I just feel like A.J. Wingfield and this Bombers team is kind of on a mission of sorts. It would be awesome for RPI to knock them off and create complete havoc in the Liberty League. But I think the Bombers hang on in a low-scoring game, 17-14. to This is a tough one. It really is. Yeah, this is a crapshoot. I'm going to go with the home team here, and I'll tell you why here. The weather. The weather may keep yeah. down Wingfield's ability to throw the ball, and RPI, I think, is more used to... When you're a home team in this weather, I think you have an advantage. Regardless of how good your run game versus pass game is, I think it gives you that advantage in that situation. So I'm going to give RPI, with the emotion of senior day and the families actually being in there, a narrow win here, lower scoring because of the weather, 21-17 RPI wins. I, I, I get what you're saying fully. Bad but weather, I just what feel is that? What yeah. Is, what is bad weather? Our, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out probably, or I will at least, the hard way. Uh, Susquehanna at Hopkins, also in Region 2. This is another tough one. But I got to think that if Susquehanna could, you know, do the things that they've done so far this season and Hopkins couldn't put up really any points against Muhlenberg you've got to feel Susquehanna's got a chance a good chance here to win this game that said Hopkins feeling the survival uh, mentality in this game it wins uh at home Uh Hopkins wins this you know there's gonna be clamoring for me to show up at Susquehanna next week if this doesn't go uh, the right way so oh yeah so so I'm picking Hopkins to win this 37-27. 37-27. I still feel like Susquehanna is on kind of a mission after what happened in 2019, being left you know, in the lurch there by the committee. So I'm going to take the Riverhawks in what will probably be not a shootout, but 31-27 to 27 type of game. Close. Staying, staying in Region 2, W&J at Grove City. Hit it. Oh, man. Um, the presidents are going to have to feel a little deflated after what happened with Westminster. Uh, but they beat pretty much everybody else in the pack when they play them, it seems. Like, I think I saw something on Twitter that, you know, out of the 10 losses they've had over the last five years, half of them were to Westminster. So I think the presidents are, are still fighting for that playoff spot. And even though Grove City is such a great home atmosphere, I think Coach Sirianni is going to cook something up and they'll win it really late and on a close one, like 35 to 32. The problem I've got with this game is who's quarterback right now for W&J? Because why did they take Heacock out? I don't fully understand. 
I understand. Look, I, I know they fell spark. behind. Uh, a spark, but Injury. they scored how many points still in that game? It's not like not much. it was not <laughs> zero. It wasn't zero, though. Yeah. And so I, that was an interesting yeah. decision. I So with a little bit of uncertainty at quarterback, I'm going to give the nod to Grove City here. Okay. Um, 17-14, low-scoring game. I, I just don't see offense on both sides in this one for whatever reason. Birmingham Southern at Barry in the SAA. It's Birmingham Southern and Trinity. They're they're coming down to that uh, face off, and I don't think either one's going to drop one until that point. Birmingham Southern wins this game, thirty one, fourteen. Yeah, I agree with you on this one. I think um, the BSC uh, thirty eight to twenty one. at Methodist. Uh, well, if they can get nine sacks and whatever it was the other weekend, then I, I feel pretty good about the Tornado's chances, um, even as a road team. So I think it'll be another low-scoring defensive game. Um, but we'll, I'll take uh, Coach Kaya's guys 14 to 10. Eli Carr not being quarterback concerned me, I'll be honest with you, when we were going through the highlights earlier. And the question here is ultimately – can the offense score points because they didn't score much in their win last week. And so I think Methodist actually has the edge here because they have enough on both sides of the ball to win it. I'm going to go with Methodist 17-7 in this game. Uh, Yeah, and low scoring for a pick by me. I know I normally go a lot higher than that. Region 4, (laughs) Denison at DePaul. DePaul undefeated against D3 competition so far. I think they continue at home. So I'm going to give DePaul the nod here 34-20. Yeah, I, I like that. I think the Tigers are pretty much the, the class of that conference and on a mission to make the playoffs. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take them 35 to 17. Trying to Albion. Uh, go Thunder. I think you know, Albion sort of been up and down. I think uh, Trine has been a little more consistent. I think they're coming off a bye or something like that, too. They, they, they've had a little chance to, to rest and, and re-up for this. So, I'll uh, take them. I think it's going to be more of a shootout, though, for like 45-35. Albion feeling the pressure at home here to produce because of that loss to Adrian early in the season. I'm going to give the nod to Albion on this one. The Brits. Okay. Uh, I think, yeah, so 31-30, really good close game uh, that I think will go Albion's way. I'll tell you that Region 5 is up next, and it's Dubuque at Coe. Uh, boy, Dubuque with that big shocking uh, victory against uh, Mount St. Joseph. Was that not uh, what I remember? No, it was Defiance, actually. What am I thinking? Defiance. I can't even edit yeah. that. Yeah. So, uh, my, it's still my with the D. <laughs> yeah. Nonetheless. Uh, tough one. I, I, I'll go with the home team here. Because I think Coe has been showing more consistency over the last couple of years in general to me. Uh, I'm going to give them the slight nod here. Uh, 27-24. Co. Yeah, I think I'm also on board with the uh, the Cohawks. They have lost a couple of games um, in, in the ARC. But, hey, you know, they're the home team. I think they'll hang on in a close one, let's say 27-21. Lake Forest at Mammoth. 
you better not pick Monmouth. That's all I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> yeah, no, that's why I even have a choice. It's got to be Lake Forest all the way, man. You know, it's, it, this, it is, you know, time is up, time is now. Coach Catanzaro is fired up for this. He's going to have his guys, A.J. Jackson, returning punts, kickoffs. They'll figure out a way to win. It's going to be a tight, tight squeeze, though, 28 to 24. To be the man, you got to beat the man. Was that not what we've heard multiple times out of Coach Cat's uh, mouth? Well, yes, sir. You're at the end of Saturday. You're gonna be the man, I believe. Lake Forest wins 35-20. I think they're just rolling right now in ways that I, I find highly impressive. We'll just leave it at that. George Fox at Linfield is next in the Northwest Conference Region Six. I uh, know he's holding a candle to Linfield. I'm not sure how George Fox is going to uh, fare, uh, you know, compared to the rest. Actually, I am pretty sure. They're not going to win. I, I just don't see it. Uh, Linfield wins 40-17. Yeah. Uh, cats all, Cat Dome City. It's going to be all cats all night, 52-17. to 17. 39 seconds left. Game 14. Gustavus Adolphus at Carlton. Uh. Carlton College, man. You know, let's uh, let's go. I think they, uh, I think they're gonna be a little surprise upset here, perhaps. Even though, you know, hey, they're they're. That's yeah, Carlton, thirty-five to twenty. Gusties win it. Gusties all the way. Yeah. Uh, thirty-five, twenty, with nine seconds to spare. We knocked it How out of the park. Yeah. I man. don't know. Well, uh, maybe I should turn down the right mic. Actually, I was turning myself down. That probably is the right microphone to turn down. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> well, look at this. Well, look at this, Frank. This is this is going to be this is going to be the weekend because we only. So you said there were fourteen picks. We just did. We just did fourteen picks. Mm -hmm. Two, three, four, five. We only agreed on six of the fourteen. This is a game-changing weekend for D3 football for our little friendly uh, wager here, which we haven't even figured out what the prize is. Uh, JB, I don't know. Uh, I wish you could be here with us this weekend uh, at Hobart Union. Uh, especially having picked against Hobart, I would love to see the reaction of the Hobart crowd to you, if that's the case. I've already gotten some reaction from the Hobart crowd. I, I don't know if they, you know, they kind of get this whole, you know, show type of thing but you know hey they know who i'm they know who i'm rooting for but at the end of the day we're our job on here is to try to act objective and if you look at certain things objectively what else am i gonna do <laughs> we gotta act objective we're wearing our school's colors right now I, I don't yeah know. how objective are we really or but it's, it's, sure. it's you know uh, so anyway, uh, week nine is going to be huge. Uh, where we do week 10 or what we do for week 10 is really in a state of flux right now. Uh, as I said, if Susquehanna wins, I have to go down there, I think. I don't see how I avoid yeah. it at that point. And we're not trying to avoid just Susquehanna, was, but, you know, it, we... Yeah, we I was looking thinking, possibly, um, you know, Trinity and, and um, Birmingham Southern, that game is in... You know, it's an hour flight from Orlando. Maybe that's something I could pop up for, possibly. I do have that weekend open, potentially. We'll see. We'll see uh, what we do. Uh, also, we think about of a uh, D3 Blitzer show, which, as you know, uh, is a, an interesting production. Haven't done that in a while. 
No, we have not. So uh, stay tuned. We will figure out what we're doing once we see the results of week nine. We don't predetermine. We are kind of like college game day. We name it uh, on the fly uh, when we do visit the schools and the games. This is a big one at Union uh, versus Hobart, and that's why I'm going there. We'll see you guys on Twitter during the weekend, on Facebook during the week. Tune in.